Good evening, film fans. How goes it? Welcome into another episode of the Second Day Film Podcast. It is the official podcast of the Second Day Film Club. It is Wednesday, September 14th, 2022. I'm your host, Brandon Champion, joined, as always, by the movie maestro, Mike Nichols. Uh, what's going on, buddy? How's it going? It's going okay. Uh, it's finally under 100 degrees in Austin, which is nice. We're starting to move into the fall season, and I'm excited to be talking about movies again with you. Oh, yeah, man. It's uh, moving into the beautiful fall football season up here in the Midwest. Uh, best time of year, if you ask me, because, you know, you got the sweater weather. And we're not quite at sweater weather, but, you know, no. football starts, the leaves start to turn. You know how it is. Uh, you know, mm. I don't need to tell you how it is here in, in Michigan in the fall, but uh, happy to be here talking movies. Um, we're going to talk about four new films well, I guess some of them have been out for a little bit, but uh, new movies, 2022 films coming up tonight. Uh, but before we got into that, I just kind of wanted to have a, a, a quick conversation about something Mike and I have been talking about lately. It's pretty relevant uh, with all of the, you know, series that are coming out and, and some just a trend that we've noticed that we tend to talk to about uh, talk to each other a lot about, you know, I we don't get in, I would say, to the issues of movies or uh, sort of the business of movies as much as we probably should on this podcast, Mike, but with, you know, Lord of the Rings, House of the Dragon, all these Star Wars shows coming out, Marvel coming out with shows every two seconds. You and I have both been noticing um, somewhat of a troubling trend, you could say. I don't know, you know, maybe not troubling, but, you know, just just something worth talking about. And that's <clears throat> toxic fan bases. Uh, yeah. It's a pet peeve of both of ours, I think. Um, but, you know, you brought this up. Where do you want to go with this? Well... I think it's interesting to start with the idea of review bombing because this was not a term I was super familiar with until the last couple of years, but apparently review bombing is where a ton of people just go online to just, just write horrible things about a movie, even if they haven't seen it or like they, they, then they get a bunch of bots to do it. I'm sure major film companies probably are involved in this too, so they can sabotage each other's films. But uh, it's it's nasty to see when like normal people are doing it, and I feel like we're both pretty big like fans of movies and TV shows. We do a podcast about it, and like I've just seen a lot of nasty stuff on the internet lately about uh, a couple new shows coming out. You know, specifically uh, the Rings of Power. I don't know why, but this just this has caught our attention. We've been talking about this. Uh, everyone's upset because you know. Uh, people of diverse portrayal are being seen in a Lord of the Rings story, and apparently a lot of people are upset about it. And I, I don't really, I don't really get it. Yeah, I mean, that's one. You know, that's that's one aspect of criticism. If you're criticizing things just because of that, that's pretty ridiculous. I mean, particularly with Rings of Power, you're talking about a world where there's elves and dwarves and orcs and wizards and all manner of creatures. And you're telling me because there's a black dwarf or a black elf, uh, you're going to lose your mind. Like this is a fantasy world. You know, there's room for interpretation about what these characters and creatures should look like. And if you're really just, you know, um, basing a bad review because there's a diverse cast, then first of all, you suck. And second of all, that's really, uh, you're the one who's missing out because if you're not going to let yourself enjoy yourself because of something like that, then that's just absurd. But Mike, one thing I've noticed with these super mega um, sort of properties is, and we sort of talked about this with game of Thrones a little bit. I think it came up with Marvel and the Avengers. Some of these like properties like Lord of the Rings, the fan base is almost too big for its own good. Like, mm. like you're, you're basically to the point where, no matter what you do, you're probably not going to please everyone because yeah. it's such a phenomenon. These things are basically a culture of their own at this point. And no matter what you do, you're always going to do something that isn't the way that someone wanted it to be done or right. isn't the way they wanted something to be portrayed. And in my opinion, that's not proper criticism. Criticism, you should critique a piece of art fairly. You shouldn't get mad at it just because they're doing something the way you didn't want it to happen. Yeah, and it's also... I mean, we should just point out, since we are two human beings who we go on the internet with these, you know, sound devices that we are holding in our hands, these microphones, and we just, well, I'm holding it because my mic is no good. Uh, because, but this is, like, what we do. Like, we just sit here and we just talk about movies and TV shows for fun, but, like, I, I don't know. Like, we try to be 
like reasonable and just fair at least our particular taste but it's okay to even acknowledge like we know that we're not objective like no one's purely objective when it comes to like what kind of art they like and that's that's fine i think people just need to just tone it down like it's 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 just it's just a tv show everyone like i think it's also important to remember that most of the art or like characters that we like from stories have gone through so many adaptations that whatever kind of like purist like you know view of the art you want to hold on to it's probably not legitimate as purist anymore like for example we all know that i am a huge huge robin hood nerd but <laughs> drink yeah. mike's talking about robin yeah. hood. <laughs> but like for example like do you know how many adaptations robin hood went through before it even got to when i was born in world history like the robin hood idea that i understand and enjoy is probably so far from the original like character that was first being sung about in a medieval tavern somewhere you know like i'm not even speaking the same type of english that that story came out of so for me like oh it's not the original robin hood. it's just like there what original robin hood am i talking about like there's been 47 quote original robin hoods in just like my generation alone probably so when people like come to something like superman or spider-man or batman or lord of the rings it's like you realize that there's so many different versions of whatever you you really like that have happened even before the version that it came to when you liked it like you, you gotta just acknowledge that art is art people take different things and do it with it it's okay to like some versions of what you see and other versions you don't like for example like there is some robin hood that looks very traditional with the medieval white dude with a bow that i really like but there's also been versions of a medieval white dude with a bow that i actually really don't like because it's just not what i personally enjoy or the way i personally relate to the character but you know i don't just go trying to rip everyone in the world on twitter about it like yeah i think it goes back to just our our general like what our culture has become particularly with social media it's like people always want to be outraged over something i swear some people just want to have like a a negative hot take just to say they did it yeah i don't even know if people believe half the takes they're taking saying they're just sort of trying to throw it out there to be trendy or hip or get clicks or engagement like here's what it comes down to mike like let's take lord of the rings for example i think that the 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 problem and the, the challenge that creators have now is if you look at rings of power right super dense lore there's people who literally study tolkien every day of their lives and still can't explain everything so i think a show like ring of power you're sort of caught in between where the hardcore people who know all the lore and are huge tolkien people and like basically it's like part of their every life they're going to get mad if the creators aren't you know dabbling into every piece of lore and sticking to canon you know to the t but then you're going to have the people who are you know more like casual observers who need to be able to digest everything that's going on in this lore-soaked tradition. Um, But they might get mad because they can't understand or it's too dense, even though the creators are already stripping it down. See what I'm saying? So, like, creators are kind of caught in the middle between appeasing the hardcore truthers and the general public at the same time. So it's a very delicate balance to try and walk and a challenging one. And we've seen time and time again, Lord of the Rings, or Game of Thrones, for example, got so massive now, were those last two seasons rushed and there's a lot of issues with it? Yes. <laughs> Is it like the worst piece of television that's ever been put out like people try and make it seem? No. But I just think like no matter what Lord of the Ring or uh, Game of Thrones did at that point, it was going to be hard to please people because the phenomenon had gotten so big. Now, Avengers Endgame, that somehow did stick the landing. So it is possible. But I just think that some of these properties are so big, they're almost too big for their own good how much of it do you think is probably behind the scenes like studios just trying to create negative conversation around their competing like films or something like i would hope that doesn't go on that much man i mean like creators should support other creators and like in hollywood you know you've got you know you've got film studios and actors are are a part of they work with many different studios creators work with many different studios I don't know. I guess maybe if you were like a suit at the top and you were in hardcore competition and you want to run a smear campaign, I guess that probably happens. But I don't know. It, it, to me, it, people are just a little bit too um, quick to be outraged these days. And that spills into our consumption of media. 
Yeah, I feel pretty outraged about the outrage myself. I'm just like, <laughs> well, it was the first time like I started like watching a bunch of reviews for stuff, and I'm like, is, is I crazy? Like, is this how people really are reacting to this? Like, so we were both very excited. House of the Dragon, Rings of Power. I think they came out like you know within a week or so of each other, and we were like, boy, like how lucky are we that we're getting like you know our our, our parents before us, like their TV shows were like Leave It to Beaver and, you know, and <laughs> Gunsmoke. And now, like, we get these huge, epic, like, $100 million shows and stuff. I was like, this is, we're very, we're living in a very, like, lucky, privileged age that we get to, like, have this kind of content quality as our entertainment. And they came out, and I'm like, okay, these are both pretty decent. Like, you know, like, the Rings of Power is a little slow. I'm loving both, to be honest. Yeah, but I'm, I'm enjoying both. And then I just look on the reviews, and people are like, this is the most hot garbage I've ever seen. I'm like, really? Is this, like, this is hot garbage to you? Like, this People is just... are entitled, man. That's what it, it comes down to. People are entitled. They're, they, they think that things need to be made exactly how they want it, or they're just like, I'm done. You know, it, it's okay yeah. to like, dislike. <laughs> And like certain aspects of films, we do it all the time on this show. We're going to do it tonight, I bet, where we can yeah. acknowledge that something in a film sucks and then another aspect might be solid. You know, it, it doesn't have to be this all or nothing, like just outrage for no reason. And I, I just think it's part of our culture now. It's not going to go away, um, yeah. but it, it is frustrating, um, in my opinion, because the critics are, are quite frankly, liking Rings of Power. It's more like the, the fans seem to have more outrage, but we see this all the time with Star Wars and, you know, backlash against certain characters. And it's just the fan base is almost its own worst enemy in a lot of ways, you know, and it's 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 sad because I feel like some people just won't allow themselves to truly enjoy art, which they claim to love, you know, and, and they're getting in their own way, which is which is which is their fault, quite frankly so yeah um, it, it's always so inconsistent too like you watch someone be like oh no this character was you know white in the original thing and now in the movie they're black oh no it's like yeah you didn't care when it was nick fury like he's originally white in the comics and then we get samuel jackson and it's great like why I'm, why why are you I'm, crying why aren't you crying about that why'd you just pick, i don't know it always just feels so inconsistent and and stupid and whiny and i just i i, I don't know like it's a yeah. who cares if the, if the character is entertaining and it and it does the job, like who cares? Like it's all it's all just a, it's a movie. It's a movie. Look, I, I'm all Come for down. criticism. I'm all for criticism, Mike. We do it all the time on this show, but it, it should be fair criticism. You know, yeah. it should be it should be holistic. It shouldn't be oh this one thing sucks, so I'm done. So uh, we got other stuff to get here the, get to here, but you know yeah. that was just something that we need to get off our chest because it's something we've been noticing with Rings of Power in particular. But we've seen other examples in the past, and you know we're probably guilty of it too. But just enjoy it sometimes people it doesn't always have to be like you don't always have to have this hot take of why something sucks you know you guys, can just enjoy it for what it is guys a jack russell terrier named wishbone played robin hood and i was totally cool with that portrayal so <laughs> y'all can y'all can just relax it's okay Oh, man. All right. All right. Well, coming up on tonight's episode of the Second Day Film Podcast, we're going to be re reviewing uh, a, a four pack of titles. Um, the Holy Trinity, you could say, of Elvis, Thor, and Pinocchio. Uh, we've never seen a trio. <laughs> we've never seen a trio like it in our time. We will never see their like again, uh, you could say. Um, but that's coming up here. Uh, if you could please like, rate, and review the podcast, to be appreciated. Check out our Facebook page. It's uh, Second Day Film Podcast. You can find our episodes on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Um, would appreciate a review if you got the time. So, Mike, let's get into it here. Um, we've got a bunch of films to get to. Let's start with Pinocchio. I just watched it. Uh, just got done with it. It's a it's the latest live-action Disney remake. It's directed by Robert Zemeckis. A puppet is brought to life by a fairy who assigns him to lead a virtuous life in order to become a real boy. Uh, Tom Hanks is uh, playing Geppetto in this. Joseph Gordon-Levitt voices Jiminy Cricket, which I didn't know until uh, this moment. Cynthia Arrivo is the Blue Fairy. Lorraine Bracco plays Sophia. Benjamin Evan Ainsworth is the voice of Pinocchio. Mike, you recently watched this too. Uh, even though you are steadfast against watching these live-action Disney remakes, you are a good <laughs> podcaster and decided to suck it up and watch Pinocchio. Uh, I mean, this movie... You know, it, it, it pretty much follows the uh, the same story as the beloved uh, animated classic from, I believe, the 40s. 
Yes. So once again, here we're talking about Pinocchio, which was originally a book from 1883, and it's been adapted a bazillion times. And so if anyone wants to be a purist and be like, well, I didn't do it like in the book. And actually, I didn't speak Italian. So yeah, like, let's see y'all throw, let's see y'all do the same stupid crap to Pinocchio now. Having said that, I particularly didn't care for this film. But (laughs) uh, yeah, so it's basically... You know, I, I have, you're right, champ. I don't particularly care for or really want to support this live action slash CGI remake of all Disney's movies. I, I just don't, don't particularly find it that enjoyable to just watch the same cartoon, but with CGI that's not as maybe good as it could be. But uh, yeah, so here we go. I watched it for you, though. Pinocchio. Uh, <laughs> it's basically Pinocchio from the other cartoon they did and there's a couple little changes here that really don't make a difference in fact i would say it makes the story a little bit more boring but uh it's pinocchio (laughs) yeah i mean if you've seen the 1940 film you've seen this movie it pretty much Mm -hmm. follows it to a t um with some of the same lines i mean obviously some of that side of the book as well you know, Tom Hanks is charming enough as Geppetto. He doesn't have to do a ton. Um, you know, he's he's in only a few scenes and he's basically channeling the Geppetto from the animated film. I'll push back a little bit on the on the CGI, Mike. I thought it looked pretty good. I thought Monstro looked pretty good in the water. Uh, I mean, that was pretty thrilling. I thought Pleasure Island uh, was brought to life with some, you know, some imagination to it. I thought the smoke monsters that were sort of I still don't know what the hell those things were like in the, in the animated, they're just like these big ogre looking guys. And in this one, they're more like, you know, the smoke monster from lost. Um, but yeah, I thought there was some good visuals there, you know, the Italian village, uh, you know, uh, Stromboli's play. I, you know, I think I thought the production design was solid in this. The world was brought to life vividly and it was fun. It was colorful. Um, you know, so I enjoyed being in the world. That being said, Pinocchio himself, kind of looks a little clunky it's it's like so with these live action remakes it's like people need to think about whoever's creating these i think they need to put a little more thought into how it's actually going to translate to live action because some of these translate better than others like uh you know i thought aladdin translated pretty well i thought beauty and the beast translated pretty well jungle book translated pretty well lion king was similar to this where the you kind of asking the question what's the point you know, yeah. th- wh- why does this really need to exist? Because with Lion King, you were basically already it was basically just another animated movie. You know, we already had mm-hmm. an animated movie. They basically just updated it with CGI. That movie was clunky and really unnecessary. You could make the same argument for this film that it's pretty unnecessary. Yeah. And there's even some changes they make that, frankly, I don't enjoy as much as the original. Like the, the original has a ton of charm. Right. Uh, and. There's something about the way they do Pinocchio in this film where he's not as like flawed of a character, which I think actually works more for the way the original did the story of Pinocchio. Like, you know, before he like there there's a scene where he's in Pleasure Island and Lampwick's like getting him to break stuff and and he's like, Yeah, and, and this great Pinocchio and, and Pinocchio says, Yeah, being bad's a lot of fun, ain't it? And in this movie, Pinocchio's like, oh, like he goes to Pleasure Island kind of because he gets like taken there, like not because he really wants to go. But he's like, okay, I'll I'll go. And then he sees everything. He's like, oh, I don't like any of this. I just really want to go. And it's like, I think it's better to have a story where the where especially for kids, it's like it's okay for kids to see like, yeah, like we all even as kids have a little bit of like some bad things in us, and like it's important to see those things come out so then you can recognize them and see like the consequences and then grow from it. Like with this one, I feel like Pinocchio kind of already starts off like a pretty good character. And then the situations kind of lead him into some bad things, but he doesn't really do anything bad. Even when he's like doing the nose lie thing and his nose is growing, it's really, this turns into like this cute gag to get the key rather than like a lesson to a kid about, Hey, you're caught and in trouble. Are you going to tell the truth? Which is like, kind of relatable to little kids so i i felt like there was weirdly this like they made pinocchio a little too good and then even in the end it's all just like oh you were always just a real boy all along you don't need to change 
but then yeah, it still well, changes and i'm like wait what i thought you were just saying that wasn't the point now it is like i don't know like i just i don't think they got the character development for pinocchio is with as much charm and maybe even with some good lessons the way they did in the original one well, yeah, because the entire lesson of the whole story is supposed to be, you know, he's supposed to learn to be brave, truthful, and unselfish. So yeah. if he's already learned those lessons before he goes through all the trials and tribulations, it kind of loses its luster. I agree that it wasn't as charming. Uh, I mean, it, it, Pinocchio itself, the story is, it's kind of dark, you know, like there are dark aspects to this, mm-hmm. you know, like con- considering the whole Pleasure Island thing, it's literally like, basically child trafficking oh yeah uh, that scene is so scary in the cartoon especially when you're a kid like yeah yeah and it was pretty scary here too i mean just just watching it and i mean there was some dark stuff to it i think you know overall this movie you know like i said i liked some of the visuals but i'm just not sure it sort of captured the i guess charm and wonder and sort of like i don't know sort of quirky world that pinocchio inhabits because he basically goes on like these you know, episodic misadventures throughout his journey. And each time he learns a new lesson, it just didn't feel as, um, as cohesive. And the result didn't feel as good as it does in the original. I did think that the performances overall were pretty good. The voice performance, uh, were, performances were fine. Uh, Honest John and his little buddy Gideon, I mean, look kind of clunky at certain times when they're on there, but I thought the voice performances were good. I thought the guy who played Stromboli was really good. I guess it was interesting to add this, you know, human character that has a wooden leg. So they're sort of like half puppet, you know, half, or half wooden, half human. And I guess they were trying to portray like some sort of message to Pinocchio that like, Hey, it doesn't matter if you're human or wood, like you just have to follow these virtues, you know? So (laughs) that was an interesting addition, I guess, but it wasn't really fleshed out. And the girl really didn't matter a whole lot in the end in the story. Um, So, you know, I, I'm not sure what the payoff was, but you know, overall, I guess it's fine that this movie exists, but I'm not sure it really needed to be. And Disney, like, if they're gonna redo these live action remakes, like, put a little spin on them. You know, like people didn't like Dumbo as much as I did, but I appreciated Dumbo for how it sort of, you know, added to the world, added to the story. Aladdin added some musical numbers. Uh, same with Beauty and the Beast. You know. I realize they're remakes, but, you know, it's okay to add a little bit of flair to make it seem like you're not watching the same movie you've seen a hundred times. Yeah, this one feels very shot for shot sometimes, and it's so hard to then measure how you feel about this movie because it's it's not trying to be its own movie. It's like, hey, remember the original one? Like, we're just literally remaking it almost at certain points shot for shot. So it's like, I don't know how to judge this on its own merit because this movie doesn't want to stand on its own merit. Like it, it's, I don't know. It, it, these that's part of why I don't like all these live action remakes is that they're not, they're not their own movies really, and Disney's not really allowing them to be either. I mean, some of the earlier ones they tried out, like, like at least Maleficent had like kind of an interest, like a twist where maybe Maleficent like has a tragic backstory, and and then there's a twist to the whole thing, or the way they did the original Alice in Wonderland with Tim Burton, like, like the earlier remakes did try to like throw some kind of twist into it. But now they're just like, they're just making literally the same. It's like when people made Toy Story with real toys and like someone made it and like put on YouTube and it was like, oh, that's really cute and clever. But now this is a major company just doing it with CGI and like Tom Hanks and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And it's like, what what is happening? Like, what? I don't know. They, they feel like they exist simply to make money and to introduce a new audience to the, these stories. But it's like kids will enjoy the originals. You know, yeah. you don't really have to do this. You know, if anything, they're going to like it less because they're not cartoons. But, <laughs> you know, I'm, I guess it's fine, you know, to, for to exist on Disney Plus. Families can watch it. You know, it, it is what it is. I'm not going to like blow a gasket over it. Um, you know, I do think that it was fun to look at. And I do think the performances were pretty good. So I gave it a six. Where were you at? Uh, I think I gave it a C plus. I will right, say that's... there was, there, can I just say there was one funny part at the end where Jiminy is narrating it and he's like, some, there, like some stories say Pinocchio became a real boy, but did it real really happen? Who knows? But what matters is that Pinocchio always was a real boy in his heart. It's like, who knows? You were there. <laughs> Why is Jiminy the narrator who's in the whole story being like, yeah. Finish the story, Jiminy. Who Finish knows the story? Really? It's like, Jiminy, who knows? You know. You were there. 
And he uh, was also talking to his older self at the beginning of the movie, so he yeah. definitely knows what happened. You uh, watch you, you watch Pinocchio do a superhero pose. He did the superhero landing, and then he's just you know he, he's apparently a he's a, he's an engine too because if you're a puppet, <laughs> you have superpowers. <laughs> He's wood. He can float, Mike. Um, yeah. He's a piece of driftwood. Um, anyways, that's Pinocchio. It's on Disney Plus now. It's only been on there for a couple days. So if you're looking for something to watch with the family, I suppose it's fine. But, you know, again, I'm not sure these live action remakes need to keep being made. Unless you're Steven Spielberg and you're making AI, because that was a great Pinocchio remake. Everyone, it's free on <laughs> YouTube right now. Everyone go watch AI. Very I just watched, movie. and I just watched like an Italian Pinocchio that was made. It was super dark. That was better than this. And I think Guillermo del Toro is making like a dark Pinocchio yeah. that's coming out soon. So yeah, the that Pinoc- could be interesting. <laughs> the Pinocchio but- cinematic universe has just really grown this year. <laughs> <laughs> the PCU. It's blowing up. Dude. Oh, man. It's blowing yeah. up. All right. Speaking of blowing up, let's move on to uh, another film that Mike has been begging me to watch for weeks. And I finally did today. It's called Elvis. It's about Elvis, uh, the life of American music icon, Elvis Presley from his childhood to becoming a rock and movie star in the 1950s while maintaining a complex relationship with the manager, Colonel Tom Parker. This is directed by the visionary Boz Lerman. Uh, Tom Hanks is in this one too. He plays Colonel Tom Parker and Austin (laughs) Butler plays Elvis in this and Holy crap, Mike, uh austin butler i haven't seen him in a ton of stuff but he's pretty freaking good as elvis in this yeah he's fantastic uh there's definitely like this guy is probably going to get a lot of awards and recognition for this role because he absolutely knocked it out of the park as elvis um and i'm not even like an elvis guy like i don't really know much about elvis i've heard some music of course but like i don't really care <laughs> he didn't really do anything in my life that i'm aware of but i get why a ton of people love him and i get why he was important it's just not one of my personal passions or interests so i don't really know how true a lot of the film is i'm guessing it hits a lot of the main historic points but uh it's definitely not trying to be the most historic look like it's certainly a Boz like Lerman take, like even the way the camera's moving in the beginning of the movie, where it's like jumping in and out of things, and Tom Hanks is narrating. I love that, like in the last movie, we just did Tom Hanks is like this kindly puppet master, and now in this one, he's like almost an evil <laughs> music puppet master. Uh, yeah. for, for Elvis, he's a pu- he is a puppet master in his own yeah. way. In this, Elvis, yeah. Elvis just wants to be a real boy. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so this was a very entertaining movie, though, and it definitely. It's very emotional. Um, it does follow a lot of like the basic tropes of you know rock and roll uh, biopics, but um, this one was just so like flashy and well done. The the way it's shot is incredible. Just that first concert, like how many different angles we get, how many different shots we get. It makes you kind of feel the legend and the power of Elvis's presence more than it really tries to convey like the graphic realistic humanity or whatever it's definitely more the this is elvis the legend and it does it does suck you in yeah this movie is very Boz Lerman. i mean if you've seen any of his other movies you know moulin rouge the great gatsby right australia yeah. um i mean it, it's very his style which is um super long <laughs> yeah. uh usually usually pretty chaotic and mm-hmm. obviously involving music which is something that he loves to incorporate into movies it really has these like super um it's kind of hard to describe without without actually watching the movie but it, it is very chaotic it's almost like you're watching parts of this movie is like you're watching like a tabloid come to life or almost like an old school newsreel and you're just watching it all like explode onto the screen all at once. Yeah. Very much Baz Luhrmann, you know, sort of incorporating music to tell the story. That's something he does really well. I don't know if this movie needed to be three hours long. Uh, <laughs> and I agree, Mike, like this is not, I give it credit for not taking like your usual take on a biopic because like me, like you, I'm not a huge Elvis guy. I honestly know shockingly little about Elvis's life other than it ended way too soon. And, you know, if you're looking to learn about Elvis, this doc isn't really going to teach you a ton about his life. I wouldn't say it's really a step-by-step. You know, it does. It, it sort of scopes over these 42 years of existence, but it doesn't really, you know, it's not like a straight biopic. It's very much more trying to, like you said, 
give us a scope of the larger in life man that Elvis was and sort of look at him from the outside in. And that's used through a storytelling device in this where we're seeing Elvis's story, not through his eyes, but through Tom Hanks, his manager's eyes. And because of that, we sort of get a more holistic sort of um, outsider, but still inside point of view, which I think was an interesting approach to take to a biopic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it definitely doesn't like portray all, all shall we say, like all the little flaws, all the little mistakes along the way, even to some of the things that people are like, hey, are they going to touch on the fact that Elvis like made not always great choices and he had a pretty unhealthy lifestyle in a lot of ways. And it it kind of like touches on those things, but so, so lightly. Um, it's a very sanitized like take on, I'm sure, what, what Elvis's private life was like. But um, it, it does like it does it does make you just fascinated with his fame like that was just crazy like how famous that guy got so quick and how much power there was in that and how it ultimately like had inevitably was going to destroy him um Mm -hmm. it's it's kind of sad like but that yeah that ending when they switched from elvis as austin butler to then it cuts to at the end of his life the real elvis like you know when he's kind of exploded and sick and he's singing Unchained Melody, and it's the real Elvis, like, and you see the tears coming out, it just hits you hard, like, that Mm -hmm. finale of the real Elvis mixed with with Austin Butler's Elvis, like, it really is a powerful ending. Um, Yeah, and that, it it works because, like, the, the, or I guess the thesis that the whole film, at least according to Colonel Parker, is that he thinks that love killed Elvis, as in his love from us, from the consumers, from his adoring fans, where he could only truly be happy when he was performing on stage. And, you know, we see that with a lot of, you know, biopics, you know, the, the, you know, we saw some of that to a lesser extent with Freddie Mercury and Bohemian Rhapsody. We saw it with Elton John in the Rocket Man movie, where these people get so um, basically addicted to fame and the spotlight that anything that happens outside of the stage doesn't feel fulfilling and how that sort of can destroy a person, you know, the, the crushing uh, blow of fame, you know, it's like, I, you know, I know whatever we make fun of famous people, you know, people rip on famous people all the time. It's again, part of our culture now, but you know, the pressure that people must feel is immense. And when you get to the point where, you know, you're really only revered because of what you do. And this is probably true to effort uh, for athletes to a lesser extent, but when, when you become so revered that it's, because of the one thing you do that the actual person sort of becomes stripped away. I can yeah. see how that could feel really lonely. And we yeah. see that in the movie with Boz Lerman's lyrics and the music he's picking out. How many times is lonely said in this movie? Like yeah. a lot in the, in, and we hear it in Elvis's lyrics and that's clearly where he was at the end of his life, which is really sad. Yeah. And I think that's why it's important to like, if, if you're interested in Elvis, like go beyond it because even the whole line, like, love is what killed Elvis. It's like, uh, or, or it was drug abuse and poor dieting for years until his Probably didn't help. colon. Probably yeah. Didn't help. It's like, you know, Elvis died famously on, like, in the, on the toilet in the bathroom. Like, it's like, it was like, love came for Elvis on the toilet. Is that what, like, you know, it's, it's a little bit of like the glamorized take on what this life was. But I think if you, if, if you saw this movie and you're like, wow, that was powerful. That was interesting. I would recommend probably going deeper than just the movie Elvis, because there was yeah. a real Elvis. And well, yeah, uh, like I said, I don't think this is really know, like trying to educate us, you know? Yeah. And um, the, de- the, the death certificate did not say killed by love. <laughs> No, I don't think that that's an official <laughs> cause of death, but you do hear like, you know, like couples that have been together for like 80 years and then one of them dies and then the other one dies like two days later. I mean, I think there is something to that, you know, the heartbreak. Yeah. Um, 100%. 100%. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of a different thing than what they're talking about here. But, you know, this is this is definitely um, it's more of a spectacle than a straight biopic, which I yes. appreciated. Another thing this movie made me think about was just the power that music and musicians can have over Mm. over society i mean elvis is probably one of the best examples of how um he basically you know changed the world and how people perceived certain things for a while there because he was blending black and white music he was pushing boundaries of what was considered taboo and you know 
he's outrageously gyrating. Oh my gosh. And it also made me, so it just sort of made me realize, you know, or think about how powerful music can be. And also made me feel sad because so much of our music now just feels so hollow. Um, and I'm not sure how much it actually, you know, uh, how much music, you know, actually moves people anymore, uh, at least not the popular stuff. It just feels so fabricated now. Whereas it seems like everything Elvis was putting out there, or at least things that he wanted to put out there, you know, he was really thinking about and putting his soul into it. And um, just the way music could uh, has the power to, to change times and change perceptions and change norms. Um, I think, I think this film did a good job sort of showing that aspect. Yeah. One last thing I'll say too, is the film did a really good job of showing like how Elvis's music actually came from African-American music, which um, maybe a lot of people don't know, but uh, yeah, like there's a great shot in the film where it shows like him as a kid watching the original like African-American musician making this sound. And then it cuts to like him doing it when he was like in his early twenties. And then him later on at the, like some of the height of his career and like it splits the screen. So you're seeing all three things at once. And you're seeing the story of this sound. And that was really cool to see and, and to watch like how, you know, music that we love, like it really does get passed beyond not just the, the originator of the song, the original artist, but then like, like the person who then makes it famous and then people who remake it famous. You know, this is kind of like what we were just talking about with, with stories in general. Like there's an original person who creates this character we love or something. And then the story gets translated through a million different voices. And then there's new, re, you know, renditions and new takes on it. And like, I'm glad that this movie did try to give credit to those original African-American artists who Elvis like was inspired by and whose music he used. Um, I thought it was good to like finally get that recognition back to where it belongs, and um, and just cool to see like, hey, this is like how how music moves, and this is how art moves, and it's like you can't always just control it, you know. Um, but there's certainly people who know how to make profits off it, and that's kind of where you get into some of the ugly parts of the story. Good reminder. Yeah, and it, pro- it probably doesn't need to be said that the music slaps in this. <laughs> yeah, 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 the music uh, is really good. I li- yeah. I totally listen to the soundtrack like. Uh, like one, it's like even I was like, okay, I'm gonna listen to that soundtrack again, and I did. It's a good soundtrack. I kind of liked how he injected like modern music into sort of the transitions at certain yeah. points. Yeah, uh, was that well was it was an interesting choice. But if you really, I had the subtitles on when I was watching, and if you if you listen to the lyrics, they sort of tell uh, the modern music tells the story of what Elvis is going through in that particular time period. And again, lonely. The word lonely kept coming up every yeah. single time that there was a transition and i really think that is the huge theme in this is how you know elvis is adored by millions and millions of people but he still feels lonely when he's not on stage so and i think that probably happens to a lot of people but it's a good movie i liked it quite a bit i gave it a 7.5 out of 10 uh it was super you know a, a little too long in my opinion i'm not i don't know why boz always insists on making three hour movies. If you go back and look, I mean, I guess he makes, I guess he releases a movie like once every seven years or something like that. So I guess if he's going to do it, he wants it to be long, but um, overall, you know, it it didn't feel like almost three hours because the movie's just so kinetic and chaotic and the visuals on screen are always interesting. And uh, Austin Butler will say it one more time. I'd be surprised if he didn't get a nomination for this. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, the fam, even the family, like Elvis's daughter, uh, Priscilla Presley, uh, you know, both both Lisa Marie and Priscilla were both like, "This is just phenomenal what he did." So, prop, props to you, Austin Butler. That is a that would be a scary role to have to take on, and just Absolutely. the way he knocked it out of the park. Like, great job, well done. I give this did one a, hear- I give it a, I give it a B plus. All right, well that's Elvis. It's streaming now on HBO Max. Whew. Okay, we've we've uh, checked off Pinocchio. We've checked mm-hmm. off Elvis. Yeah, we're uh, done, with, we're done the... with Tom Hanks movies now. <laughs> yes, yes, we've done with the Tom Hanks portion of today's show. Let's move we've... on to oh look, Marvel. Hey, we don't yeah. talk about that ever. <laughs> the third member of the triumvirate, uh, Thor, Odin's oh. son, King of Asgard or New Asgard. Actually, he's not even king. He's a guardian of the galaxy at the start of this movie. Um, it's the latest in the MCU. I believe it's the 29th film in the MCU. Like its predecessor, Thor Ragnarok, it's directed by Taika Waititi. Uh, Thor enlists the help of Valkyrie Korg and ex-girlfriend Jane Foster to fight Gore the God Butcher, who intends to make the gods instinct. 
Uh, it stars our man, Chris Hemsworth. Natalie Portman returns as Jane Foster. Kristen Bale plays Gore the God Butcher. Tessa Thompson returns as Valkyrie. Taika Waititi also voice, voices Korg. Russell Crowe's in this. Hello, as, as Zeus. Uh, we've also got the Guardians of the Galaxy that make a, a brief appearance uh, in the beginning of the film. And Jamie Alexander appears as Sif. So, uh, you know, you get a lot of the MCU aspects that sort of, you know, pop in and out here, Mike. I quite liked Thor Ragnarok a lot. It's one of my favorite in the MCU. And it's because Taika Waititi, you know, after the first two Thor movies, especially Thor The Dark World, people were kind of cooling on Thor as in his standalone. Taika Waititi comes along, sort of channels the zany, kooky, wild, goofy energy that Guardians of the Galaxy had and was like, I'm going to apply this to Thor. And I think it really worked in Thor Ragnarok. There was it was very funny. I laughed out loud a lot. There was a lot of uh, humor to it and well-timed jokes. Um, but at the end, the stakes were still really high in Thor Ragnarok with Hela, who I thought was a great villain. Asgard literally gets destroyed at the end of that movie. And the stakes still felt real and big. Taika Waititi returns, and I think he's trying to channel some of that energy into Thor uh, Love and Thunder here. But I don't think it quite hits as much. It, it goes a little bit too far in that sort of crazy direction to the point where this movie sort of feels um, unserious and almost feels like a parody of itself. Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of like everyone in this movie. Like I love Chris Hemsworth, I love Christian Bale, Tessa Thompson, uh, Russell Crowe, Natalie Portman, Taika Waititi. Like I genuinely like everyone in this movie, and I I think Taika Waititi is an, an amazing uh, film director and creative. Like I I love Jojo Rabbit. I love Hunt for the Wilder People. I yeah, and I enjoyed Thor Ragnarok for like you know what it was, but uh, yeah, this one just. It's disappointing. It just it felt like, hey, what if this entire movie is just one big joke compiled onto another big joke compiled on a big joke? At some point, you just there feels like there's no weight to anything, and it's hard for you to care about anything because everything just keeps getting undercut by its own humor, or shall we say maybe attempts at humor? Because for me, a lot of the jokes were not. That funny. I think there was like one or two moments where I genuinely laughed, but other than that, I was like, "What? What is this? Like this? It was just, it was just a very disappointing waste of a lot of amazingly talented people who I enjoy all their other stuff. I just, man, this one was just, it was kind of a, a letdown. It's it's batshit crazy, is what it is. And I remember what when the actors and Taika Waititi when this film was being made, I think one of them said, "We shouldn't be allowed to make this movie." And now I understand what they mean because it is freaking nuts. Like I'm not gonna lie, Mike, I did laugh often. I did. There was some funny stuff in this that I did get a kick out of. The screaming goats got me every freaking time. <laughs> it was so yeah. funny. I, I was definitely laughing at like these goats that are just screaming like humans. There were things that were funny in this. And I did laugh at some jokes. Um, and I did think there was like some clever stuff going on, you know, like, I don't know, like treating their weapons like significant others and like just, just doing some, some funny, clever stuff here and there. But in the end, it's like, it's like, I'm not sure this is what I want in my MCU. You know, like if you, I want them to be funny. Like Avengers movies are funny. They have jokes. Spider-Man has jokes. Thor Ragnarok has a lot of jokes. I want them to be, you know, humorous and feel like a, a, a superhero movie and not feel like I'm, you know, down in the dumps living in hell all the time. But the last movie was so funny, but the stakes still felt real. In this one, they're constantly undercutting every single meaningful moment. And because of that, it loses its luster, you know? Yeah. Yeah. This is like, and a lot of people have said the Marvel movies, like that there's obviously great humor in them, but like, there's also been like an increasing excess to some of the humor that gets in the way of the story, gets in the way of the satisfying moments. And I think like, this is that, problem which you, you see it in some movies like in certain areas not not everywhere and not always but like there's just certain moments where it's like oh why'd they force a joke here that was like a nice moment like and then this movie just like every single moment is just a forced joke now um and it's just disappointing because you've got great talent and it was kind of interesting to see like hey what is what is thor gonna do next and it's like oh apparently he's just a big stupid silly goofball like oh that's is that interesting like compared to where this character's been? I honestly still think my favorite Thor movie is actually the first one. 
Picanth Brahma. Like mm-hmm. that one that, that interested me. I was like, you know, I don't know a lot about th- like Norse mythology or like how Marvel does it. Like this could be some really interesting like take take something like um the the what was it? The Northman? Is that the one we just mm-hmm. saw? Is yeah. it Northman or North North Norseman? The Northman. The Northman, yeah, sorry. So take that movie, right? Like that's Hamlet, but it's this incredibly like serious Viking take on it. And it, it takes you into the, like the spooky world of like what all that Norse stuff actually was. And, you know, the, just the way it was shot and everything. It's like, wow, like that really was interesting and unique and it made you care about Norse stuff. And then you have this, which is like, obviously it's doing Marvel's kind of take on the Norse, which is fine, but like, it just feels so not as interesting. And just well, and, really and, uh, lazy, you, you even, I would say. You brought up a good point about where the character's been. I mean, Thor has lost more than anyone, really. I mean, arguably, he's lost, you know, his dad, his mom, his home, his brother. You know, he thinks Loki's dead. We know he's not. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's he, he's lost everything. And, 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 you know, they sort of reference that in this. And I know he's sort of gone through his whole arc through the latest Avenger movies, but that should still carry weight in who he is as, as a character. And in yeah. this movie, you don't feel that at all. You just feel like he's over it completely. And he's just like this slapstick jokester guy. And yeah. I just like, I'm fine with some of that, but it was too much. It was over the top. It was too silly. They went too far in the silly direction to the point where this movie just didn't feel like it had enough stakes. And I will say, but in parts, like tonally, this movie's all over the place because yeah. for much of it, you have like this, you know, hilarious, or at least what's trying to be like this hilarious slapstick, you know, zany, you know, space Viking, you know, hilarity romp. But you've got this villain played by, played wonderfully by Christian Bale, in my opinion. He is yeah. menacing. He's terrifying. Yeah. Gore the God Butcher, like, this is not the right villain for this movie because he is, like, a super, like, serious, evil, menacing, like, broken villain who's just trying to murder gods because he wants vengeance. I mean, that scene when it, when it does, when it turns basically to, like, pseudo black and white and he sort of wraps them in tentacles and he's, like, calling them out and he makes Tessa Thompson cry and... I mean, that scene was captivating. I thought it was great. I thought that he was a great villain. Like, he was terrifying. But when you compare that sort of vibe of a villain, which is like arguably one of the darkest villains we've seen in the Mm -hmm. whole MCU, and you juxtapose it against this zany romp, it doesn't mesh well at all. No, especially when you go to like the, the home of the gods where they all are, and you start portraying all the different stuff. And it's like oh, well, we have to stop him or he's going to kill all of us. And it's like, maybe he should kill all of them. Like, this is annoying. Like, what are they? They're just selfish, like, stupid, like, you know, they just feel like these snobby, powerful beings. And I'm also like, wait, who are all these people? Like, why aren't they? Like, like you're just dropping in all these big characters, like the gods of literally everything. Like, who are these? Are these aliens? Like, are they only gods of Earth? Are they gods of different? Like, what is this exactly? And it's just, it's, it's a ton of actually really weighty things that you're like, wait, is that going to play out in other things? Or how does this affect all this huge, you know, multiverse stuff that we're dealing with now? And it's, it just has no real weight or stakes. Like even when Zeus, Thor throws Zeus's lightning bolt right through Zeus's chest, like kills him. And then, then it shows the end of the movie. Oh, Zeus is just fine. And Hercules is bursting onto the scene. Yeah, I'm like, (laughs) Like, oh, okay. Uh, (laughs) Like, I guess that had no stakes. Like, nothing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I kind of figured that Zeus wasn't just going to die that easily. I mean, I kind of figured that would be the case. But I just wish that this movie would have taken itself more seriously because I think Gore the God Butcher, you know, like he's so vile and grotesque. And Christian Bale's character actually has like good motivations you know he's like oh the gods have forsaken us they've let us down you know like what human hasn't felt that way you know why are we letting all these bad things happen why are they letting this happen and christian bale himself at the beginning of the movie the first scene is forsaken by the gods and that's why he turns on them and then at the end we see he's sort of redeemed in a way which that didn't work fully for me but at least his motivations felt real and i thought he was actually a really good villain but it was just wasted in this movie where he he feels completely misplaced yeah yeah i'd give this one a c plus it was 
It was honestly maybe my least favorite Thor movie, actually. I mean, a lot of people are saying that. I, I mean, I, I really liked Ragnarok. It's one of my favorite in the MCU. I, I'm going to give this a six just because, you know, some of the fighting still is cool. The film looks pretty good. The CGI is good. You know, I did laugh at some of the jokes. Some of it was clever. And I did like Christian Bale quite a bit. Um, yeah. But ultimately, I just think that this this movie would have been better served by taking itself a little bit more seriously and not being like a parody. I guess we shouldn't be so surprised to Taika Waititi. You know, he loves to do parody stuff. But I think he went a little bit too far in this one. And somebody should have reined him in. I mean, I get what he's trying to do because Ragnarok, this tone was well received. But it's it's like, you know, more isn't always better. <laughs> you know, you want to talk about yeah. societal, you know, societal issues, especially with media. That's all we're doing now. More is better and more is not always better. And somebody should have reigned Taika Waititi in on this one, you know? <laughs> yeah, I wish. Yeah, I mean, because, you know, speaking of gore, another thing that was great. I, yeah, he was great in it. But Jane Foster as Thor was cool, too. And then that kind of got wasted, too, because... Like I thought, I was like, man, Jane would actually make a great Thor. I would like to see more adventures about her and what she would do as Thor. But then, you know, still though, still uh, Natalie Portman's performance wasn't fully doing it for me when she's trying to do the, <clears throat> you know, it's Mighty Thor or Doctor Jane Foster. I don't know. I just don't yeah. know if she handles that sort of dialogue. Great. I mean, she's a great actress. Well, I just I don't... don't know if she handles that stuff great. You know, yeah, that that kind of dialogue. I don't know how how much it serves the purpose. It's claiming to serve either like uh, wow some people some people make it look cool you know it's uh yeah. i mean it could be corny with you know steve rogers catching his hammer and going avengers assemble you know that could have been corny but it was perfect so you know it's i don't know i, I just you know i know natalie Portman got a lot of flack from the from the second thor movie and that's why they sort of left her out of ragnarok um, you know, she was fine in this. You know, I think she, you know, clearly put on some muscle and stuff. And I think she was fine. I just didn't think that particularly want that particular line was super, super uh, well delivered. And their big kiss sort of felt <clears throat> rushed and not super climatic to me either. All right. You know? they, I want you to I want you to show me how you would say the line. No, I, I'm not an actor, Mike. I'm not. An well, actor. Then, OK, well, then show how you would do the big kiss. Um. <laughs> I'm going to need you to get closer to the screen. <laughs> All right. We'll be back in uh, five minutes. Second. No. Okay. This is getting weird. <laughs> All right. Uh, so that's Thor uh, love and thunder, you know, a mixed bag. It's on Disney plus now. Um, uh, we were hoping for better. I think that's probably uh, this, this sure. summation there between us. So let's move on to the last thing we're going to talk about here uh, on September 14th on the second day film podcast. It's more Marvel. It's uh, miss Marvel a series that just got done airing on Disney plus. And of course we've got she Hulk airing now. So uh, they just will not stop with the Marvel Mike, yeah. but uh, Kamala Khan is a superhero fan with an imagination, particularly, particularly when it comes to captain Marvel, Kamala feels like she doesn't fit in at school. And sometimes even at home, that is until she gets superpowers like the heroes she's looked up to uh, together with her friends. She explores her mysterious past. This show was created by Bisha K Ali it stars Iman Vellani, Matt Lintz, uh, our two leads here, Zenobia Shroff plays her mom, um, and a lot of other uh, Indian, very talented Indian actors uh, pop in and out. I know some of these people are super famous in India, in the Bollywood circuit, maybe not as known to people here in the U.S., but I know some of these cameos of people who show up are very famous uh, overseas. But Matt, Mike, I, I started watching this show. You know, it wasn't, I don't have much of any sort of knowledge about the character of Miss Marvel. Um, I was, I can't say this is a series that I, you know, was one that I was super excited to watch, but when I popped this on and I, and I got into it, uh, the first few episodes, I was, I was pleasantly surprised how much I enjoyed it. The middle portion didn't work quite as well for me. And the conclusion was a little, eh, but I did, I did appreciate, you know, some of the themes that they were exploring with this show. Yeah. I actually really like this one. Uh, I think it's probably in my top uh, it's probably in my top five or, or maybe even three of like the Marvel Disney Plus shows we've got in the last uh, year and a half um, I think that it's a really good story it's first and foremost it's, it's like a story it has a beginning a middle and an end that has like a logical character chart and like um, you know the character starts out as flawed and then gets powers and has, like has to learn great responsibility with those powers. Like it, there's a lot of actually like 
I like the Spider-Man story, I think, in in uh, Kamala Khan's story. Um, you know, that she's a teenager who's a normal kid where she's not perfect, um, but she's a good person, like like most teenagers are. And then she gets these powers and she doesn't know how to use them responsibly. And she's trying to figure out how it ties into who she is as a person and who she should be. And she has like messages from her parents about what to be. And she has messages from her friends and from society and then from other people who have the part, you know, like, and she has to process all that stuff to figure out what kind of hero does she want to be. And I really like all that. I think it did a good job doing like the basic story, superhero story. Um, It felt like it had a very, similar plot to like some of the, maybe the, the early 2000s superhero movies. And yet this kind of just stretched it out over episodes. Um, I thought this was really well done. I thought the kid did great. The, the young actress who played Miss Marvel, uh, she was fantastic. She gave a lot. Yeah. Uh, she gave a really good, like, like it, it kind of was even a nuanced performance. Like you could feel like all the aspects of the teenager. She was, she had a good sense of humor, which I liked. Um, yeah. And her family, everyone did great. Like, I really thought all the acting in this and, like, the performances were all pretty strong. I really like this one, actually. I love the idea of now that the MCU has been flushed out for so long and we've got so many characters and we've watched all these movies and shows. I love the idea that there's a character that is, like, a fan of the characters we've been watching forever because they're basically, like, it's basically like a betrayal of us. On in a show, yeah. And obviously, she gets to live <laughs> out her dreams of getting superpowers, but like, yeah, the idea that like, why doesn't Avenger Con exist? It probably should exist. Like, it needs to exist now after this movie. But like, the idea that like she is like a fan. Um, you know, this this one felt really like relatable to real life because she's yeah. like a student in school. She's going through like these challenges in school. She's on social media. She has a blog. You know, they're they're talking about heroes online. It just feels like more and more. Um, basically, ever since like Spider Man got revealed, his his identity got revealed um, in Spider Man No Way Home. It feels like like everything's really meta in the MCU, where it's like mm-hmm. really self aware, and it's it's sort of channeling our society that we have in real life instead of like making up this huge universe. And this show does that really well by sort of just putting us in a young girl's shoes, and then she gets powers and she has to figure it out, and she's sort of thrust into this world. But what I think about what I think this show does better than anything is it really zeroes in on the concept of family. Mm-hmm. And sort of how that sort of defines your legacy and how that defines who you are. I mean, we've got like four generations of of women who go back in this show and they sort of yeah. all learn, you know, how they've carried on their flaws in some cases, very literal ways with the powers and how they sort of uh, have both grown, but also stayed the same in a lot of ways through the generations. And th- the main conflict is between, you know, um, uh, Kamala Khan and her mom and how her mom can't really relate to her even as much as she tries. And that's because she had the same issues with her mom and she feels like she abandoned her and can't trust her. And mm-hmm. her mom has that same thing with her mom. And it's, yeah. it's sort of this like uh, continuous path of sort of abandonment that these women feel there's clearly love there, but there's just sort of like a disconnect. And throughout the show, we, we see those, the relationships sort of get repaired because they learn to trust each other. And uh, I just think that the focus on family and in this case, an Indian or Pakistani family, um, which, you know, the show was super educational because it, it was going all out in sort of portraying Pakistani culture and festivals and sort of how they interact with each other and what, you know, parental life is like. And then we, we actually get, get to go back and see partition uh, happen, which is something that I know, you know, embarrassingly little about. Right, um, so yeah. I did appreciate this show for sort of shining a light on things that I never would have learned about before. Yeah, hundred percent. Like I did not know much about the partition and about those experiences of like India and Pakistan. What happened to everyone? Like it was really cool the way this show took a superhero story right through it. And it was it was very educational. I think um, it did a really good job of like sharing the spotlight towards you know characters who don't often get to be in superhero movies. Like you know you don't see a lot of like, brown teenage girls like as the main character of superhero stuff. And it was cool that this did that. And it shows like all these stories and heroes like they don't all have to look alike. Like anyone can experience like heroic achievements, and anyone can go through pain that makes them better. Like it's really I, this is like. 
I, I like that we're seeing more diversity in this stuff because I hope it it's good for especially like younger kids like who come in and like it normalizes it more for them especially like little girls who like have never seen someone look like them on a screen who's a superhero and now it's like hey like there's someone like this like and um even for people like me like an older guy i'm like oh i've never seen anything like this and i really liked it and it was cool so yeah i would say this was uh, uh this was an a minus an a minus i i did i did have some some you know gripes before i get give my grade is i, I did think the villain was not strong i didn't think yeah. Najima was a great villain she sort of bursts onto the scene and then she's just like dispatched three episodes later you've got sort of the department of damage control people um uh, ariane moyad plays uh, uh agent cleary she's kind of a one note just like psychotic agent who's like attacking kids in a school although i'm glad that her superior like did like tell her to stand down and she doesn't get called out for that because i'm like why would this department agency just be like attacking kids in a school yeah. i'm glad they do at least call that out um i, I don't think the <laughs> villain was great in this really at all uh gets dispatched a little too quickly because then the villain really becomes you know her boyfriend uh that that has these unwilling unwanted powers and um that sort of plays out in a sort of fun way, but it's like, and there's also something to like agents attacking a school that sort of was a little bit like they couldn't have figured out a better way to do this. You know, it's a kind of a charged environment to have like guns rolling around at a school. I know they sort of did it in like a fun way where they're using like basketballs and, you know, and uh, fire extinguishers and stuff like that to fight them. It was all harmless, but not the greatest imagery, you know, of guys running around with guns at a school, you know? Yeah, the villains were definitely my minus for my A minus. Just, you know, I don't know. I don't really think Marvel has done a super great job with making interesting and really scary or even like understandable villains. You can count um, on one hand the good ones. <laughs> yeah, like that's been like kind of a problem with the MCU is the villains are usually not as like interesting to the story as maybe the plot would make it seem like they are. Um, and Miss Marvel suffers from that as well, but still, still good. Like, still definitely one to sit down with the fam and enjoy. Yeah, I think I ended up giving this a seven. And of course, we're going to see, you know, we see Brie Larson pop up at the end in the Stinger, whatever that's about. But we know Kamala Khan is going to appear in the Marvels, which is mm -hmm. coming out, I think, next year is when the Marvels comes out. Um, yeah, so that'll be interesting. What did you think about the reveal that um, Kamala Khan is a mutant? Because that, oh, that's yeah. kind of opening up doors to, you know, we know from a from a business meta standpoint that Disney now owns Fox, which means they can work in the X-Men. We saw Charles Xavier in the Spider-Man movie. So just kind of pe peeling that door open, Mike, into uh, bringing mutants into the MCU, which is interesting. Yeah, it was uh, it was like, oh, that's the first time I've heard them, I think, use that word in the MCU kind of story. But ultimately, it was kind of like more of a teaser line that had nothing to do with the plot or or Kamala. So I was just like, okay, whatever. Like it's 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 definitely a departure from uh, you know yeah. I I know from you know I I've never read Miss Marvel comics, but I know just from reading you know hardcore comic people that they did sort of change her origin story uh, for the show, which is fine. I mean, not everything that was d written in the comics is going to be great or translate to the screen. And again, like going back to how we started the show, I'm fine with people changing canon or changing sort of origin stories as long as it creates a good story. You know, yeah, um, that's really what it's all about. And uh, that clearly did it with this show. But yeah, this was a overall a fun show. I like to, you know, just from a stylistic standpoint, how they had like stuff popping out on screen. Uh, in the beginning and the end, you know what I'm talking about? Like when she's walking down the New York street and yeah, there's like, cool. like stuff popping out. I mean, just sort of a style choice, but it definitely felt like, you know, comic book coming to life sort of, um, which I thought was sort of a nice homage to, to, to her comic book origins. And they went away in the middle when we sort of were getting into the serious stuff and then came back. So that was an interesting stylistic choice, but anything yeah, else they, on Miss Marvel? Well, I was just going to say, they did that a lot in turning red, too. And I, I kind of like that. I like when there's a lot of, like, little little animations and stuff to kind of, like, illustrate, like, what the character's doing, especially if the character's an artist. Like, I think that's kind of, like, clever and cute. And, you know, it's unique. It keeps your eyes, like, watching. And it's it's fun to kind of spot some of those things. I like when they do that. Um, no, I got nothing else to say about uh, the Mar uh, Mrs. Marvel. Uh, good job. And uh, looking forward to seeing her in the Marvels. 
Yeah, I mean, that's we had a lot of new stuff announced at Disney uh, at the San Diego Comic-Con. We're getting a new Daredevil show. We're getting Thunderbolts coming out. We've got the new uh, Captain America with Sam Wilson coming out. I mean, it's a lot of stuff to look forward to. I mean, they just keep pressing forward the MCU. You and me, I think both we've talked about it before. We have concerns, you know, if is this just going to get too bloated, too convoluted, too crazy for its own good? Definitely a chance of that. Uh, definitely a chance of it getting too played out. But I do think these series... And I feel similarly about She-Hulk. They're definitely hitting a lot of different vibes with these MCU series. So they all do kind of stand on their own in certain ways. And as long as they keep like putting the time in to make them individual and have their own things to it, I'm fine with it. It's when it, it's if they just start like rolling them out like on a factory line or an assembly line. That That's when I'm going to get a little nervous, you know. Yeah, there's definitely a lot less um, or at least it feels like there's a lot less. Um, time that the creators are being given to create these like pieces of art. So therefore there's less time they can put into making sure the quality is good or like double checking the writing or, you know, even just like maybe testing it more with like, Hey, like what do audiences think? Does this, does this kind of work? Like, I, I don't know. I just feel like, I feel like the reviews for a lot of these things are getting steadily not as good. And yet, like, they seem to be making them more and more like what people are saying they dislike. Like, like people have said, like, hey, like, the jokiness in Marvel movies kind of gets overwhelming. And they're like, let's make Thor all jokiness. It's like, wait, haven't they been learning what people like and don't like from these things? Uh, I don't know. It's just, I feel like it's probably a tough creative process to be in. And, like, I feel bad for whoever has to direct and write these movies. I'm sure there's, like, a ton of like different rules they have to follow and these like the oh it has to be the character has to say these kind of lines this character can never do this this you know like i'm sure there's so many different barriers placed on how they can actually tell these stories and like, hey, you have to have a joke every 12 seconds or something i don't know but just uh, like don't don't feel too bad for a mic i'm sure they're getting a nice paycheck so <laughs> i yeah, wouldn't uh, i wouldn't feel too bad for him but but, uh, but now people like you and i are just sitting here on our podcast that no one listens to being like hey we didn't like your movie <laughs> <laughs> the mouse is not listening to us i promise you promise you that uh anyways if, that's if, if you are though i'd be happy to write that live cgi robin hood you're gonna make because Okay, we've already had. I, I already let you go down one Robin Hood tangent. We're not doing it again. We got to get out of here. We're pushing an hour. Uh, that's going to do it for today's episode of the Second Day Film Podcast. We appreciate everyone for listening. Again, if you could give us a rating or review, uh, we'd appreciate it. Subscribe to the show. Tell your friends about it. Check out our Facebook page as the Second Day Film Podcast. And our episodes, I think we've got like almost 80 of them now, maybe more than 80. Uh, you can check them out on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, Mike, anything else? I hope they make a Robin Hood where Robin Hood's black and someone on Twitter cries about it. What did I tell you about Robin Hood? There's enough Robin Hood references. So for Mike Nichols, Robin Hood, I'm Brandon Champion. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you once again for listening to Second Day Film Podcast. And we'll see you at the moment.